Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Williams wants to fade. Stoops in the end zone for a touchdown Oklahoma. Well, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I feel like every podcast I start by saying it has been a while, and it has, but uh, this is life, right? And you know, if you listen to this podcast throughout the football season, we don't go through these long stretches, but right now there are long stretches, and some of it is my fault because of, well, it's all my fault. We'll just say it's all my fault because of my job and travel and so forth. But here we are, we're here right now, and we're going to talk. Obviously, the basketball season has come to a conclusion since the last time I recorded a podcast. In fact, I don't even think that postseason had started for Oklahoma the last time I recorded a podcast. And, you know, we thought we thought Oklahoma had done everything right, everything they needed to do in order to qualify for the NCAA tournament, um, including getting that first win in Kansas City. But turns out it wasn't quite enough to defeat to defeat the defending national champions. You actually, I guess, needed to make it to the finals, not the semifinals of the Big Twelve tournament. But but then here's the question. I mean, I'm, I've got a couple of questions I'm going to throw out at you in this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. So here's the first one. Does Oklahoma's second round loss of the NIT does does that does that mean that they should not have been in the NCAA tournament? Does a second round home loss to St. Bonaventure does that not prove that they did not deserve to be in the NCAA tournament? And I know. Look, I get it. You're going, well, they beat Baylor in Kansas. I, I get it. I, I know that. I, I don't want to take away anything from what this team did during the season. Because it wasn't just the Baylor win in Kansas City. It was the Arkansas win in Tulsa. It was the Florida win in Norman and, and so on and so on. They beat Iowa State. But, but to me, that just adds to the frustration that was this team. And this isn't a knock against Porter Mosier. I, I, I think Oklahoma made the right hire. I think it's more of a knock against the current system. When, when you, you go into the transfer portal, the way Porter Mosier had to, he didn't have a choice. But you go in there, you go in that transfer portal, and you pull all these guys out. You get the Groves brothers. You get Jordan Goldwire. You know, you get all these guys that come in, Ethan Chagua. And then they've got to like, they've got to gel. You know, they. I mean, you you have basically a brand new team, and they've got to gel together. And I do. I think team chemistry was the underlying issue here. 
I, I don't think Tanner Groves ever hit his full potential this last season. I don't think we fully understood what Jacob Groves is capable of this last season. I don't know that Jordan Goldwire really knew what his role was on this team. Did he have to be a scorer? Did he need to be a point guard? Did he need to be a point guard who could score the ball? I don't think that Mo Gibson really understood he had the green light to shoot it anytime he was in the gym until probably mid-February. Well, maybe early January, early February, mid-January. And the point I'm making is I don't I don't know that this was a Porter Mosier issue as much as it was Porter Mosier, new coach, trying to get everybody was new to Porter Mosier. It wasn't just that the that Ethan Chagua and the Groves brothers and all that Jordan Goldwire. It's not just that they were brand new to Oklahoma. It's that everybody was brand new to Porter Mosier. So you you've got these guys adjusting to a new campus, a new program, new facilities, a new a new conference. So you got all that going on, and then you got a, a new coach adjusting to everybody. So I, I think if you're if you want to look at it as the glass is half full, then what you saw in 2021, 2022 was the true potential for this team. You you saw you you saw a glimpse of what Oklahoma basketball could be like under Porter Mosier. You, you saw that they're going to play hard. You saw the defense. You saw the tenacity. I mean, you saw, you saw it there. You saw the fire and the passion that starts with Porter Mosier and goes down to the starting five and throughout the bench. You saw all of that. But then you saw a little bit of head scratching that just lets you put you right back into reality that everything was brand new in Norman this year. And, and, and I said this all along, if, if you want to find out why they didn't make the NCAA tournament, I, you know, obviously the last time I recorded, they hadn't, the tournament hadn't even started yet. But I'd said if they, if they missed the NCAA tournament, it's pretty easy to figure it out. I mean, I think you look at the TCU losses, the one that's particularly the overtime loss in Fort Worth. I think if you, if you have that loss, you, you flip that around and put that in the win column, I think they're in. Bedlam and Stillwater, same thing. You flip that around, I think they're in. Obviously, Butler. I mean, you, you just pick one. One of those losses that shouldn't have been a loss. And at the end of the day, you, you the wins, the quality wins over the Texas Techs, over the Iowa States over the Arkansas over the Floridas you got all those quality wins over the Baylors in Kansas City but they're still outweighed by those head scratching losses but now Porter Mosier has a full off season he's going to get the Groves brothers back Elijah Harkless is coming back really the big question mark about this team is is what's what's Mo Gibson going to do now he's going to try he's going to try to test the the pro the pro waters. I don't know if he'll make it or not. I, I do think the guy's got talent. It's just a, what level does he want to play on? You know, I mean, in, in the NIL era of college athletics, what you've got to weigh in is, is coming back. If you're a guy like Mo Gibson, who could be an NBA talent, 
Okay, I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he is not. I'm saying he could be an NBA talent. So if you've got a guy like Mo Gibson who could be an NBA talent, but we're not sure, is coming back to a program like the University of Oklahoma where there is money around this program and there are boosters, uh, there are sponsors who like to put a face on their product in the era of the NIL, is it not more beneficial to come back for one more year of college basketball knowing that the only thing you can do is probably, if you're a guy like Mo Gibson, improve your draft stock, improve your chances, work on your game a little bit, get your name out there a little bit more because Mo Gibson was the absolute star of this team at the end of the season. You come back and make a run in the NCAA tournament. I'm just wondering, is it not better? Can you not? Is this is this a better option than going to Israel and playing basketball? Is this a better option than going to Turkey or Yemen or wherever he may end up if it's not in the NBA? Is it a, is it even a better option than the D League of the NBA? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know the answer to that question. And Mo Gibson, well, Mo Gibson's a guy who's got to make that decision. He's going to test the waters with the option of coming back for one more year. So there you have it. That's the that's the big question mark until Mo Gibson gives us an answer. I mean, we're just going to start. I mean, everything's going to move to football anyway, is it not? Because I know this podcast is about to move to football. But there is, I mean, at least there's something to look forward to in basketball. As the spring wears on with football, heading into summer workouts and recruiting, all that jazz. What's Mo Gibson going to do? Uh, you know, I said I was going to ask you a lot of questions um, on this podcast, and I'm 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 going to do that because I'm just I'm talking to myself, and so you know I got to include you somehow, some way. So, and by the way, we do need to get back to the listener true or false questions. I, I I've not forgotten that I promised you guys an episode. That's basically all of your true or false questions coming my way. I'm just waiting for a good time to do that. I, I think I missed my window right at the end of basketball season and in, in, in the beginning of spring football. Probably missed a window there. So I'm, I'm maybe after the spring game, maybe that's when we can do an episode. It's because you will have seen the product on the field for the first time under Brent Venables. Yeah, it's a scrimmage type situation. It's nothing that's really going to mimic what we see this fall, but it's something. So maybe that's the best time to do a full episode of true or false questions, but it's coming. I promise. But here's my question to you, by the way, you you can feel free to jump on any of these and give us your answer. If you want to answer them, I'd love to hear back from you. Uh, Heartland-sports.com. Each podcast episode has its own post there. So you can drop a comment there, heartland-sports.com, or on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. You can just, just jump on there and say, hey, man, I agree, I disagree, here's my thoughts, or you're crazy. I don't really care, just as long as you participate, because I really do enjoy hearing back from you guys. And so here's my question, because one of the things we're going to do going into the dog days of summer, or we're almost the halfway point of spring football, so as we as as we close down spring and go into that what it just seems like an eternity between the end of the spring game and the first football game of the season, you got to find all these things you want to write about. You do position breakdowns and you do coaching changes and you do recruiting 
But one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing is going back and looking at the games from the previous season and picking out, you know, 10 plays from the course of the season. You think these are the top plays. Here's your top play from 2022. Well, obviously that hasn't happened yet, but you get what I'm saying. So when you look back on the 2021 season, I'm thinking to myself, how much is is redeemable from Oklahoma football in 2021? And it's not just about the 10-2 and regular season. It's not just about going to the Alamo Bowl for the first time in forever, literally in forever. It's not about missing out on the Big 12 championship. It's not about any of that. It's when, when you look at this team and what's not there this spring, there's such a bad taste in everybody's mouth from so many things from 2021. Yeah, there, the Waco. Waco was bad. Yeah, Bedlam. Bedlam was bad. But even at that, people, I mean, look, Twitter, Oklahoma Twitter is ruthless. They went after Lincoln Riley and it became like, it became Oklahoma Sooner clout, street cred. If Lincoln Riley brought, blocked you on Twitter, because we wanted to go out and just give him a piece of our mind. So nothing about Lincoln Riley seems to be redeemable. So can we talk about anything that this team did in 2021? Because Lincoln Riley's hand was all over that. His fingerprints are all over that. And yes, Lincoln Riley did this team, this program, and this fan base dirty. He's not going to say that. He's not going to own up to that. He's he's just going to live in his la-la land world until he moves on to the next best thing. But he did us dirty. I mean, and I say us, I'm talking about the fan base. If I was a player, I'd say he did us dirty. And there's many players out there who said that. Now, the coaches, the administration, they have they have to have a little more class than what you and I do. And so they're not going to use it in that, in that exact verbiage. But you are going to, I mean, look, look at what Kale Gundy said just a week ago. When he's talking about Jeff Lebby and the innovation of the offense and, and so forth about how they it's been a long time since Oklahoma's offense was in in as good of shape as what they're in right now. It's been a long time since they were primed to do what they're primed to do right now. I mean, they're 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 taking some shots without taking shots, if you know what I mean. But I mean, nobody likes Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma anymore. If you had a if you had a Lincoln Riley shirt, if you had a Lincoln Riley autograph, you had a Lincoln Riley photo, it's either buried or burned. You're not you're not putting that out on Twitter. Hey, look, I saw Lincoln Riley in you know Walmart, whatever. No, you're not bragging on that. So with the fact that Lincoln Riley's fingerprints are all over the 2021 football season, does that mean that all the games he coached in, all the things that he did, we can't celebrate that? When we go back and look at the 2021 season and those accomplishments, listen, those are Lincoln Riley's accomplishments. Now, there's only one game Lincoln Riley didn't coach in, and that's the Alamo Bowl. So is that the only game we can celebrate? That was a great game, right? I mean, it was it was a fun night. If you were in San Antonio, you, you had a blast. If you watched it on TV from wherever you are in the world, you had a blast. It was a good, entertaining game. And Lincoln Riley's fingerprints weren't on that. It was a, almost like a, a moment of healing and rejuvenation and renewal and revival. But then 
Caleb Williams bolts. Mario Williams bolts. Jaden Hazelwood bolts. You got these guys, Perrin Winfrey, Nick Benito, Brian Osamoa, all going to the NFL. And so where you're on this high moment after the Alamo Bowl, you just kind of come crashing down again. So what can we celebrate? What When we look back on last season, I mean, this is a legitimate question. Is it all a waste to you? Just This is the season that will not be mentioned again? I mean, does it go down like in the 1998 season, the last year of John Blake? Does it go down like 1995, the Howard Schnellenberger year? I mean, I mean, do you, is this one of those seasons where we're just not going to talk about it? Yeah, there were some good things that happened. Damon Parker was a star for John Blake. Kelly Gregg was a star for Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake, but we don't talk about those guys. We don't talk about their seasons. Is that what 2021 is going to become? Because think about this. When, when, when you think specifically, if you take Lincoln Riley out of the mix and just say, you know what, uh, we're, we're only going to focus on the Alamo Bowl, well, there's Caleb Williams in the Alamo Bowl. And this guy had so much promise. He, he could have been one of those guys that lives in Sooner folklore, that lives in Sooner history. Well, I mean, think about it. He could have been... You still talk about the Superman play, right? Roy Williams. You still talk about that play from the OU Texas game. You know, there's a lot of people who don't even realize what year that happened. There's a lot of people who look at that play and they they say they hear they hear Roy Williams, they know them, they know Superman, and they know exactly what the play was. But they don't realize two things. They don't realize it was actually Teddy Lehman who scored the touchdown in that play. And they don't, and they don't realize that that happened in the 2001 game. That place 21 years old. It was 20 years old, I guess, this last season. 21 years this coming October. And and when you look at Caleb Williams and his performance against Texas, he engineered the largest come from behind win in the history of that rivalry, over a hundred years. They've been playing that game. No one has ever come back like OU did this last October. When you think about that fourth down play that ended up being a touchdown that really kind of got that, that rally going, right? That, that performance, it could have been Superman the sequel, right? I mean, think about it. It could have been Superman the sequel. It could have been something that, that we're still talking about right now. We'll be talking about five years from now when he's in the NFL. We're talking about 20 years from now when he retires from the NFL. We're talking about when he comes back for homecoming or when he comes back for the spring game. That, that performance, it could have lived in infamy like Roy Williams did or so many other performances in the past. But my question is, can we even talk about it now? I, I tell you another iconic moment, and it's not it's not Caleb Williams, it's Mario Williams. I mean, it, it ended up not really being anything because the play was whistled dead. But you remember the, the catch he made in the Alamo Bowl where his helmet got ripped off? Should have been a touchdown, but because they ripped his helmet off and he waltzed in the end zone, scot free, that didn't count because he didn't have a helmet on. But again, that could have been an iconic moment. I'm just wondering, are we allowed to talk about those things? 
By the way, for Mario Williams, true freshman, 35 catches, 380 yards, four touchdowns. The guy made some plays. Caleb Williams made plays. Think about the Kansas game and taking the ball away from Kennedy Brooks and getting that first down. Those are all things that if you were to make a top 10, it's impossible, guys. It's really impossible to make a top 10 list that doesn't include Jaden Hazelwood, that doesn't include Mario Williams, that doesn't include Caleb Williams multiple times. And I think you give Perry and Winfrey a pass. You give Nick Benito a pass. You give Brian Osamoa a pass. You give you give these guys a pass because they're going off to the NFL. But, I mean, DJ Graham's interception against Nebraska, that's a great play. But then again, you look at, man, they lost field position on it because it was a fourth down. It probably would have been better just to knock the ball down and let it be incomplete. But when you talk about the athleticism of the play, it's one of the best interceptions you'll ever see in your life. So we just do we just take, if we're going to make a top 10 list, do we do it just with players who are currently on the roster? Because here's where that's going to be hard. Seriously. You can't, you can't include a single passing play. You can't. Because Spencer Rattler gone. Kenny Williams gone. So you're going to have any spectacular passing plays that Ralph Rucker threw? Going to go back to that Coastal Carolina game? Micah Bowens? You see what you see what the, the the problem is. So what do we do with 2021? Do we celebrate it? Do we study it? Do we do we burn it? I'm really I'm really curious. I, I want to know what do you think, Sooner Nation? Do we have to? Can we celebrate this season in its entirety with all the good plays from all of the victories? Or do we have to edit it down? Instead of doing a top 10 plays from 2021, maybe like a top three, top four, how many plays can we come up with? So I, that's, I, I would love to know your thoughts. I really would. Hit us up on that. All right, so let me come at you with another question. I mean, since we're, I'm, I'm, leading, I'm driving the ship here, right? Um, we're gonna st- let's step out of football for just a second. I promise we'll come back to it. But let's, let's look at softball. When you look at this team, 32-0, and 0, um, super impressive what Patty Gasso is doing with this softball program and, and just the level of consistency, right? But here's my question. Number one team in the country, hands down, number one team in the country, defending national champions, undefeated on the season, just took two games from UAB over the weekend. Tulsa's coming up Wednesday night. Undoubtedly, I mean, everybody's figuring this team will be 33-0 and when he gets ready to get back into conference play next weekend. But what's more impressive for Oklahoma softball? When, when you look at 2022 and what they're doing, what is more impressive for this team? Is it their hitting or is it their pitching? Now think about this, because I, I don't think there's an easy answer here. Now, we, we know that hitting sells the tickets, right? I mean, everyone tuned in for Jocelyn Allo as she's chasing history. Now she's over 100 career home runs, and she's absolutely the superstar of, of college softball right now. I, would, I mean, it's not just being a, a, 
a biased homer to say this. I, I think the college softball world embraces this, that Jocelyn Allo is actually the face of college softball. And she is that because she's a power hitter who just cleans up on whoever is dumb enough or brave enough to pitch to her. As a team, the Sooners are hitting 383. That's the team batting average. They've got 83 home runs on the season. They've got 302 runs scored on the season. This team is, is insane. When you look at the top 10 hitters in the Big 12, we just you know you take all the softball teams in the Big 12 and you look at the top 10 hitters. Five of the top 10 play for Patty Gasso. Jocelyn Allo leads the way with batting 513 on the season. Taylor Snow is number two in the Big 12, batting 500. Number six is Riley Boone, batting 429. Grace Lyons is number seven, batting 425. Jada Coleman is number eight at 418. So really five of the top eight are from Oklahoma. This team is incredible what they can do offensively. I mean, just amazing. They should strike fear in the hearts of their opponents, and I think they do. I think this team has reached the level of of clout or the level of respect or the level of intimidation where they win games just by walking out on the field. They they win games and the, their opponents say, yeah, okay, we'll give our best, but this is over. And, and I think maybe that's why Patty Gasso is a little bit hard on them. You know, you beat UAB three to nothing or two to nothing or whatever it was on Saturday. Patty Gasso is like, yeah, we, we got to work on some things because she knows they're better than that. You win by run rule, but Patty Gasso is just like, you know what? We won, we won by run rule, but, you know, we left eight runners stranded. It should have been worse. Or we, we left the bag early. We got thrown out at second because we left the bag early. We gave up and out. We shouldn't do that stuff. And she knows they're better than what they play sometimes, which is a really scary thought because they play really, really good. This is a good softball team. And offense is a, is a big reason why. But look what they're doing from the pitching circle. The top three pitchers in the Big 12 pitch for Oklahoma. And any of the three can pitch any game. It's not like Patty Gasso has a one, two, and three. Maybe she does. Maybe in her mind, she legitimately has a one, two, and three. But I'm telling you, Oklahoma's one, two, and three. They could start for any team in the conference, probably just about any team in the nation. There's maybe five teams. Seriously, there's maybe five teams right now that Patty Gasso's one, two, and three probably couldn't go in and take a starting spot away from them. And when you look at the number of softball teams that are out there, to say there's only five, that's huge. But it's true. Oklahoma's pitchers have a combined 0.67 ERA. I'll say that again, just in case you haven't been paying attention to softball. 0.67 ERA. 287 strikeouts. 
So let's put this in perspective, okay? 0.67 ERA. The next closest to them in the Big 12 is Oklahoma State at 2.05. Now, if you're if you're if you're a fan of of the you know the diamond sports, baseball, softball, you know there's a huge difference between 0.67 and 2.05. That that's a huge difference. Hope shot one, the top pitcher in the Big 12. 0.13 ERA, 97 strikeouts on the season. Jordy Ball, 0.8 ERA. Nicole May, 0.95 ERA. And, and what, what this means is, as impressive as what Oklahoma is doing offensively, they're at least at least equally impressive to what they're doing defensively. Because here's what's crazy about this. You got these low ERAs. Oklahoma's top three pitchers pitch on the reg. I mean, they're they're out there every weekend. So it's not like it's not like Nicole May has a 0.95 ERA, but she only pitches like 12 innings this season. No, I mean she's she's out there and she's starting games. She's out there and she's pitching a closing role. I mean, th- these girls are pitching every weekend. It's impressive. It's beyond impressive, honestly. And so you got to pick. I mean, oh, so what's what's more impressive? The hitting, 383 as a team, or the pitching, 0.67 ERA as a team. Which one's more impressive? And I think what it comes down for me is two things. Number one, you look at offensively, and you look at who they return. I mentioned five players, five players that are in the top eight offensively for Oklahoma. All five of them are returning players. There's not a, there's not a new face there of those top players, and there's some there's some stars in there. Look at Jada Coleman. I mean, look, look th- these are these are good players. These are seasoned offensive players. These are veterans. And they're good at what they do. So you have a model of consistency on the offensive side of the ball, but you go out into the field and you look at what's not there. Giselle Juarez isn't there. Shannon Sells, not there. And when you look at the top three players from the circle for Oklahoma... There's only one returning player there, and that's Nicole May. And Nicole May, if we were going to rank him in order just statistically, I mean, Nicole, Nicole May is not third to anybody, okay? But just if you're looking at it, statistically, she's third on this team in pitching with a 0.95 ERA. Find me an, another team that's got a pitcher who's number three out of the bullpen it's 0.95 ERA that has pitched to the extent that Nicole May has pitched. Jordy Ball's a true freshman. She was pitching a high school ball this time last year. Hope Trotwan is a, is a transfer. She wasn't with this program last year. She was in throwing for North Texas. And so I, here, here's what I, where I was getting at. When, when you look at 
what wasn't there from the circle from last year to this year. And you look at the fact that this team, they're not number one in the Big 12 in strikeouts. They're definitely number one in the Big 12 in ERA, but they're not number one in strikeouts. It lets you know that the girls behind these pitchers are really, really good as well. And, and I think to have this type of ERA 32 games into the season, that's more of a complete team effort to me. And because of that, I've got to say that what they're doing from the circle, probably more impressive than what they're doing from their batter's box. And that's saying a whole, whole lot. All right, well, let's wrap up this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast, talking a little bit of spring football. Like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, we're almost to the halfway point of spring ball. Uh, the red-white game is less than three weeks away now. There was a, a comment that I came across this last week. You probably saw it as well from Kale Gundy, uh, coaching receivers. And when, when you look at, the when you look at the transition of this offense, we talked about Caleb Williams leaving. We talked about Mario Williams leaving. Jaden Hazelwood is gone. Spencer Rattler is gone. But we didn't really talk about the guys that are still here. And you got Marvin Mims. You got Theo Weiss. If, if I was gonna if I was gonna call out the top five receivers just off the top of my head. The top five guys, pass catchers for this team coming into this coming fall, the 2022 season. And I, I think you start with Mario Williams, right? Don't you have to? 37 catches in 2020 to lead the team. 32 catches last season. I think you got to start with Mario Williams. Uh, Theo Weiss definitely gets some solid cred in there. He had 37 catches in, in 2020. I know he didn't play last season because of, of injury. Jumped in the transfer portal, came back out of Norman. But I think Theo Weiss, definitely right top five in this team. Drake Stoops, I think Cody, you look at the youngsters, Cody Jackson, Jalil Farouk. I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anybody out. I'm not including H-backs. I'm not including running backs. I think if I'm just looking at five receivers here, this is my five. Who am I missing? I'm probably missing somebody, and it's probably an obvious one, but that, that's my five, okay? So Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, Drake Stoops, Cody Jackson, Jalil Farouk. Guys, this, this, is a, this is a receiving core that's still really good. Despite not having Jaden Hazelwood, despite not having Mario Williams, these guys are pretty good. And this comment from Kale Gundy just talks about the, the expectations of the receivers. I don't think anybody's going to give this team a pass. When you look at what the, the, what the receivers are saying, when you look at what the coaches are saying, I, I don't think the expectations go down at all for this offense. I don't think you're going to find anybody coming out of this program saying, well, you know, Lincoln Riley's gone and so is Caleb Williams. And, oh, yeah, Mario Williams left. Kennedy Brooks is in the NFL. Uh, yeah, we're probably not going to be as good offensively as what we've been in the past. I, that's not at all. That's not at all the case. In fact, everything that's coming back is saying, uh, yeah, this offense is, is going to step it up. 
This offense is going to click. It's going to hum. It's going to execute. And it will be something to behold. Now, here, here's a direct quote. All right, direct quote from Kale Gundy. Talking about Jeff Lebby, talking about his guys at the receiver position and talking about this offense. Kale Gundy says, I, I think in this system, we're going to have a chance for several guys to have a lot of catches. If we do our job as an offense and coaches and players, we're going to have multiple guys with a higher number of catches than we've had around here in a while. Now think about that because 37 catches for Marvin Mims back in 2020, that tied Theo Weiss for the team high. And he's saying, Lo, you know what? We're, we're going to have multiple guys with a higher number of catches than we've had around here in a while. I think that when I when I hear that, when I see that, and I and I understand the expectations on this receiving core, really what it comes down to me is I, I don't I don't think you're gonna see the running backs, fullbacks, tight ends, that H back. I I don't know that you're gonna Jeremiah Hall had 32 catches last year. I don't think you're gonna see something like that in 2022. I'm not saying the running backs, the tight ends, the H-backs, or whatever you put them, fullbacks, whatever the verbiage is. I'm not saying they're not going to use those guys. Especially when you have a guy like Eric Gray, who's multi-talented. I'm just saying I think they're going to target receivers. I think this this passing game is going to go vertical. And that, that opens up a, a the door for, for a guy like Theo Weiss, who really can't. He's a true guy that can stretch the field. We've seen Marvin Mims stretch the field. We've seen Marvin Mims become a possession guy. We, we saw the potential of Jalil Farouk. We've talked about that Alamo Bowl a couple of times already on this podcast, on this episode. We, we, this kid, had, I mean, showed his potential in the Alamo Bowl. Chose to blaze his own trail and not follow Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and, and Mario Williams. Chose to stay in Norman. This is where he wants to be. I think he's got potential. But I, th- I think it's, to me, it says two things. The number one thing it says to me is I, I think they're actually going to target receivers in the passing game and running backs, fullbacks, tight ends. Those guys will be check down guys. On most plays. There, I think there will still be some plays that go to those guys, but not as much as what we saw in Lincoln Riley's offense. The second thing is, I you've heard a lot of people initially in these first couple weeks of spring ball talk about the pace of this offense. And it's going to be a fast-paced offense. They're, they're going to run. You're going to see the... That that number of plays increased. Think think back to Baylor when Jeff Lebby was with Art Bryles at Baylor. I know we don't like to talk about Art Bryles, but just forget all of that and just focus what happened on the field and think about how that offense clicked. And and then and then you go to what 2019 at Central Florida 
Jeff Levy was there with, with Josh Heupel. Jeff Levy's the offensive coordinator. And in 2019, that offense was number two in the nation. Number two in the nation at Central Florida. Yards per game. Who was the quarterback there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a true freshman by the name of Dylan Gabriel. So there, there's a lot of potential here for this offense. And you know, you you know, I mean, there's so much that we know already about this offense going in really before the spring started. And then what spring has done is confirmed many things for us. You, you know, Eric Gray is probably going to be the guy at running back. Marcus Major is going to get some run there if everything falls into place. You, you, you know, well, we talked about the top five and receivers. You know Dylan Gabriel is your starting quarterback. You know a lot about this team before spring even started. And now that spring has started and has almost reached the halfway point, really what spring ball is doing is affirming a lot of the things that we already knew. And when you're talking about quarterbacks, I mean, look, this I, I, I don't even want to say it again because I've said it so many times. But this was Dylan Gabriel's team the minute he stepped foot on campus. Before Caleb Williams came out of the transfer portal in Southern California, this was already Dylan Gabriel's team. Everybody knew that. Caleb Williams knew that. I think that played into why he left. But again, I don't want to go down that road again. But if you're looking for a big question mark, if you're looking for a big question mark, I think with if you're looking for something sustainable or something that, that really would hold your interest at the spring game, I mean, everyone wants to see... Everyone wants to see Dylan Gabriel. I get that. I want to see Dylan Gabriel. Everyone says, everybody wants to see a left-handed quarterback. I get that. My son was a left-handed quarterback. They're a thing of beauty to watch when everything's clicking. But really, if you want to follow a storyline into the spring game, is that the backup quarterback positions? Who's QB number two? Who's QB number three? So the big question in this quarterback room right now is how much ground can Micah Bowens make up? Because most people think, and I, and I think there's probably a lot of truth to this. I don't, I'm not saying when I say that most people think, I'm not I'm not saying that they think wrong. But most people think that you know it's a two man race for at the number two spot between Ralph Rucker and and Nick Evers. We know the talent that Ralph Rucker has. We know that Nick Evers was was Jeff Levy's first ever commitment. And you, you think those two guys battling up for number two and number three, and Micah Bowens is just in there somewhere. But though, I mean, I just I, I want to see how much of a difference is between a, a sophomore and Ralph Rucker, a freshman and Nick Evers, and a guy like Micah Bowens who's in his second year of his second program. So this guy went through Penn State, he went through Oklahoma, now he's going into a second season. This is his second spring in Oklahoma, granted the second coach in the second spring, but the point is, there's probably some maturity here that Micah Bowens possesses that might help him get into this race when a lot of people don't think he's in it. I mean, look, he, he was, what, the... Number 16 dual threat quarterback in the nation coming out of high school. Number three player from the state of Nevada. 
13 scholarship offers, including Penn State, where he went to initially. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be QB number two, but I'm not saying he's out of this race. I personally don't think we're going to know who QB number two is until a week before the first game of the season. I don't think this is a question that's going to get answered in the spring game. But I think that I think what we can find in the spring game is is Micah Bowen's in this race. Is he actually a player when it comes to this quarterback battle at this backup spot? Or is he a candidate for the transfer portal? I mean, that's that's really kind of where, where we are here. So if you're looking for something to really kind of hold your interest on the offensive side of the ball, that's a little bit of a mystery. That's that's exactly where I would start with it. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of what we do. Don't forget, you can catch us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. We got thoughts, analysis, opinions, whatever there. Oklahoma Sooners, Oklahoma State Thunder, wrapping up the season. You can also find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Engaging conversations there as well. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.